Are all your friends voting today? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This election was really seen as sort of monumentally important. President Erdogan, who's been in power for 20 years, suddenly looked a lot more vulnerable than he has in the past. Karim Fahim is the Post Bureau Chief in Istanbul. He's been covering the pivotal presidential elections in Turkey this month between President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and his challenger, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu. It was the tightest presidential race in the history of modern Turkey. Turkey has been suffering through a years-long economic crisis that has affected basically everybody in the country. The political opposition here in Turkey was more united than it has been in the past. And this was their shot. On Sunday, Erdogan won. But just a few weeks ago, this outcome wasn't all that certain. Karim says that when he and his colleague Zeynep Karatash were out talking to people in Istanbul, the energy and the tension around Turkey's future were palpable. You know, among people who were supporting the opposition, the mood was, you know, extremely excited, almost giddy. What's your name? Ayşe Kolikpınar. Uh, we met a 33-year-old woman uh, who works in advertising, Ayşe Kolikpınar. Yani, çok uzun zamandır hiç bu kadar heyecanlı ve mutlu hissetmemiştim. I haven't felt this excited or uh, happy in such a long time. And, you know, for her, the danger uh, was that if it didn't go the opposition's way, then Turkey would cease to be a republic and it would be, you know, more of a, a one-man regime. At the same time, Karim saw how Erdogan was really rallying his base. So before the second round of the election, we went to central Turkey, to the town of Sivas, we spoke to Pakiza Duman, um, 39, while she was walking in a park. You know, her reasons for supporting the president, they included, you know, projects he had initiated in the city, and his defense of her identity as a conservative Muslim was also very important to her. Is that the most important issue for you? Yes, it's the fact that Erdogan survived this challenge says a lot about him, his political gifts, his political dexterity, and whether, you know, this machine that President Erdogan has built is beatable. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Anahar O'Connor. It's Wednesday, May 31st. Today, we explain what happened in Turkey this week and what Erdogan's renewed grip on power means for people inside the country and beyond. Turkey is incredibly important, uh, politically, culturally, commercially. It's a country of 85 million people. It's a NATO member. It's situated between Asia and Europe. Uh, President Erdogan has tried to amplify the country's influence by making it a global player, uh, a country that is intimately involved in some of the worst conflicts in the world, either as a mediator or as a combatant in some cases, um, including in conflicts in Syria, Libya, and most recently in Ukraine. Uh, so this is a really important country geopolitically. It's also a country with some 60 million voters. What happened as the results came in? 
there was this general sense that President Erdogan had a lot of momentum going into the runoff. And in general, you know, he has a, a very sort of well-oiled political machine. He controls all the levers of state and really sort of deployed them in his effort, in his re-election effort. That meant that he received sort of blanket coverage on the media. You know, part of his message was about having a, a sort of very strong state defined in part by national defense and its building of military hardware. And so some of that hardware has been on display over the last few weeks, reminding voters of sort of state power. I mean, for some time before the first round of voting, there's a very large warship parked outside in the Bosporus Strait. It's docked on sort of this newly renovated park, and people have been, you know, going out to see it for weeks. When we were out interviewing people in some Istanbul neighborhoods, you could hear warplanes overhead, um, which was part of a, a convention that was going on a couple of weeks ago. And so there were these fighter plane displays. He also delivered a very, these very divisive messages about the opposition, tarring them as terrorists, denigrating LGBTQ people, and then associating the opposition with going against family values. So he had all of this working in his favor, and there was this real sense that he had momentum going into the runoff on Sunday. Even so, we did meet opposition voters who continued to hope that there was some way that uh, their candidate, uh, Kemal Kılıç Duroğlu, could prevail. But then President Erdogan pulled ahead. Karim, I'd love to take a step back and really understand exactly who he is. What is Erdogan's story? What's he known for? Well, he, he first came to prominence as the mayor of Istanbul in the mid-90s. And he was seen as a very effective mayor, a modernizing leader. He was also a populist Islamist leader with a large following, especially among people moving to Istanbul from rural areas. He was also arrested at one point for reciting a political poem that ran afoul of strict laws here on enforcing secularism. This made him only more popular. He was elected prime minister in, in 2003. He was viewed as this, you know, interesting mix of an Islamist and a Democrat who came into power at a time of, you know, this really terrible economic crisis in Turkey. Um, they successfully brought a lot of foreign investment into the country. At the same time, Turkey uh, is trying to gain EU membership. So there are quite a lot of political reforms. There's an expansion of freedoms in the country. And so, you know, all of this had made him very popular at home, a darling sort of in, in the West as well. The other very important thing he does is advocate for the rights of conservative Muslims. 
which had been marginalized under, you know, secular governments in Turkey's history. And he also gives Islam a greater role in, in public life in Turkey. You know, one turning point that the world paid attention to were um, the outbreak of protests uh, against Erdogan in 2013. Turkish police and protesters have clashed again in central Istanbul. More than 80 people were arrested close to Gezi Park. These protests started over a park in Istanbul. Gezi Park triggered nationwide demonstrations at the end of May, when a peaceful sit-in against its planned redevelopment was brutally cleared by police. And ended up being about much more and really directed against Erdogan's rule. It's along that road there were people with flags, cars and taxis were sounding their horns. There was a lot of uh, a party atmosphere in some respects, a lot of people cheering and clapping. And at this point, you know, a lot of people say is when he started to become fairly paranoid about threats against his government. Another key turning point comes three years later when, when his government uh, survived an attempted coup. And in the aftermath of the coup, the government embarks on this very, very harsh crackdown directed against the coup plotters, but also sort of many other people. Erdogan responded with a crackdown that has seen 47,000 people detained and 120,000 sacked or suspended from their jobs. And so the aftermath of the coup is really a very large part of the backdrop to, to this last election. Mm. So even though he started out as something of a liberal reformer, as prime minister back in 2003, he's sort of increasingly, it sounds like, become more autocratic and authoritarian. Um, is that fair to say? That is fair to say. There are a lot of people here in Turkey who say that you know, especially people in the West were missing the signs of this and, you know, had sort of cast President Erdogan as this, you know, great reforming figure and sort of, you know, missed these signs as they were emerging early, to some extent in his, in his management of the economy. But certainly those tendencies have become much more pronounced over time. Mm. Now, I've seen many uh, supporters of his uh, opponent, Kulaj Duralu, come out and say that, you know, one of the many reasons they um, opposed Erdogan was because of what's happened to the economy in, in Turkey. I know there's, for example, sky-high inflation. Um, what has Erdogan's approach to the economy been um, over the years, and how has it changed? You know, w one of the issues economists will tell you um, is his centralization of power. He calls a referendum uh, in 2017, changing Turkey's system of government from a parliamentary system to an executive presidency, with Erdogan being the country's first executive president. Turkey's President Erdogan declaring victory Sunday in a referendum to grant him sweeping new powers in the biggest overhaul of modern Turkish politics. But opposition parties fear the changes will fuel authoritarianism. Lawmakers came to blows. What that also meant is that the sort of circle of competent people around Erdogan shrinks dramatically. And so he stops getting, you know, the sort of sound economic advice 
And, you know, we saw finance ministers being fired. Inflation has skyrocketed. The value of the local currency, the lira, has plummeted against the dollar. It seemed like prices at the supermarket were fluctuating every day and the, and the government struggled to get a hold on this. So, Kareem, with all this going on, the opposition, Kamal Kalistorolu, he's now gaining strength. What's his story? He is 74 years old. Uh, he worked in the finance ministry. He worked in Turkey's, the equivalent of Turkey's social security agency. He's been the leader of Turkey's largest opposition party for a very long time. I think people knew Kalic Durolu mainly as, you know, the butt of sort of insults made by Erdogan in his speeches. He's always referring to Mr. Kamal, you know, derisively. And in 2017, he participated, or his party actually, I guess, organized what was called a justice march sort of across the country to protest the arrest of, of one of the party's lawmakers. It just showed him, I think, in a different role, you know, starting to talk in a, in, in a more public way about the erosion of sort of rights and freedoms under that government uh, in a way that sort of attracted a lot of public attention. So Kalitsurolu, as sort of the main vehicle for his campaign, posts these videos on his Twitter account addressing Turkey's deficit of freedoms, uh, the opposition's unity, his religious background as a member of a religious minority, and then also the economy, one in particular in which he's sitting at a kitchen table holding an onion and discussing the price of onions is, you know, one of the first viral videos of this campaign. In this video, Kalicdrolu holds up this onion and says that if Erdogan stays in power, the onion will cost 100 liras, you know, which is almost $5. But the takeaway by the opposition after the first round of voting was um, that he was being seen as weak and that, you know, there was a significant component of the electorate that was being stirred by the sort of nationalist rhetoric um, that Erdogan was using and that Lechtrolu was not appealing to these people with his messages. So um, all of this hurt Kalistrolu. And um, after the first round of voting, his tone changes sort of quite dramatically. One of the main messages he tried to deliver uh, was an anti-immigrant message that focused on um, this sort of groundswell of public anger over the last few years directed at millions of refugees who live in Turkey including nearly 4 million Syrian refugees who President Erdogan welcomed during Syria's civil war. These posters sprang up around the city, directed at, you know, saying that Syrians will go home. Now, Kareem, I want to talk about one other really pivotal incident that seemed to play a role in this election, and that was the series of earthquakes in February that devastated cities across uh, the country killing tens of thousands of people in Turkey and neighboring Syria. It seems like President Erdogan came under significant criticism for his response to these earthquakes. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that might have played a, a role in this election? 
you know, since this was unfolding so close to the election, I think many of us assumed that it would be, you know, a major factor. And instead, people were quite surprised to learn that during the election, much of that area ended up voting for Erdogan in the presidential race. So that that was a little bit of a surprise. You know, part of that may have had to do with turnout in the earthquake zone, but it was also, I think, a testament to the sort of loyal base of support that he's built and also promises that he made um, in traveling in the earthquake zone. Erdogan has declared a state of emergency in 10 provinces and sent in troops to help. All state institutions are working on this at the moment. On the first day, we experienced some issues. Part of what he was doing was, you know, absorbing anger from these places because some of this devastating toll was being blamed on shoddy construction practices, uh, much of it that had also occurred during a building boom under his government in some of these places. Anger is growing over what local people say has been a slow government response. He appeared to take some responsibility for this and sort of asked for forgiveness. And he's promised to rebuild towns within a year. And so I think there are a lot of voters who were hanging on to that. Hmm. Now, this was a really close election. How did Kalichto Ralu react to the results? Were there any questions about this being a free and fair election? So um, after the results showed that he had lost the election, Kalech Durolu gave a short speech. He didn't dispute the vote tally or say that there were improprieties in the, in the balloting. Um, he did call it the most unfair election process in recent years. Which... I think people took to be a reference to this uneven playing field that he and the opposition had faced before and during the election. He said the will of the people to change the authoritarian government had emerged. So when when it became clear that President Erdogan had a significant lead, the president appeared on top of a presidential bus in Istanbul. He was singing to his supporters. He delivered a speech there. Uh, He was smiling and, you know, thanking them sort of effusively, calling it a victory for democracy. After that speech, he went to Ankara and he addressed his supporters there as well. Coming up, we hear what Erdogan's win means for Turkey's global power. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. 
See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. And why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Now, Kareem, this was a big election for Turkey, but what about outside the country? The election was also being really closely watched around the world. Turkey is involved in has been involved in conflicts in Syria, elsewhere in the Middle East. Um, Turkey is a central player in the war in Ukraine, has mediated between Russia and Ukraine, has taken a strong stance when it comes to NATO expansion, opposing initially the membership of Finland and currently still opposes the membership of Sweden. So it's an important country in the middle of these pivotal global conflicts. And so, you know, world leaders have been watching the election very closely. And after President Erdogan's election, sort of very quickly weighed in with congratulations, which seemed an acknowledgement of Turkey's pivotal role in all these different places. Now, um, I saw that after the runoff results were announced, uh, President Putin of Russia came out and congratulated President Erdogan and called him a dear friend. And it seems like this election is going to have a lot of significant global consequences. Can you talk about what it might mean for the Ukraine-Russia war, for example? Well, interestingly, I mean, it was both Russia and Ukraine came out and congratulated President mm. Erdogan <laughs> afterwards, um, which highlights his and Turkey's sort of unique position in the conflict. Erdogan has a complicated relationship uh, with Russia and Putin, you know, which has wavered between sort of competition. You know, they've been on the opposite sides of armed conflicts in Syria and Libya, for instance. They are sort of military and economic partners at the same time. So it's a very complicated relationship. The United States and uh, European governments have been worried about uh, Turkey's close relationship with Russia, especially when it comes to the possibility of sanction evasion using Turkey. Now, I'm also curious, what does Erdogan's victory mean for Turkey's relationship with the United States? Um, how did President Biden react? President Biden also tweeted his congratulations, and uh, he and President Erdogan spoke on Monday, you know, a conversation that was noted sort of very prominently in the Turkish press. And, you know, there was some sense from the notes that came out that they were trying to work out some of, you know, the many longstanding issues that have caused tension in the relationship. Two things that were mentioned were Turkey's uh, desire to buy uh, American F-16 fighter planes and the U.S.'s desire that Turkey drop its objection to Sweden's NATO membership. So at least from the call notes, it looked like they were, you know, trying to work out some of these issues. Okay, so Kareem, now that Erdogan has survived his biggest challenge yet, what do you think we can expect from him in this new five-year term, both inside the country and internationally? What's next? You know, Erdogan, especially because these sort of stormy relations with countries in the Middle East, with Europe, the U.S., have not helped um, his economic problems at home. 
And I asked a lot of people, you know, what does his next term look like? And obviously people have asked this question a lot. And things I focused on was, was the tone of the campaign and the language that was used because it was sort of instrumental in creating this sort of co successful coalition for Erdogan. And analysts thought that that would be a formula he would return to, you know, and that carries consequences, you know, when he's, you know, denigrating people or calling members of the opposition terrorists, that has consequences for the, for the country. When it comes to other things like foreign policy, I think it's much harder to say what he's going to do. You know, the last five year, five to 10 years were really characterized by these um, conflicts with countries in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, President Erdogan involved Turkey politically or directly militarily in several conflicts in the Middle East. In, in the last couple of years, he's tried to repair many of those relations, sometimes for financial reasons, but it's just sort of a, a, a pivot to um, sort of a calmer foreign policy in the region. But, you know, he is, um, has been unpredictable. We do know that elections are incredibly important to him. His survival is incredibly important, and he's the most successful politician in Turkey in the modern era. And so it all sort of comes down to how he wins the next election. And we have local elections coming next year. Kareem, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Anahat. Good to talk to you. Kareem Fahim is the Post Bureau Chief in Istanbul. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Alana Gordon. It was edited by Monica Campbell and mixed by Sean Carter. Special thanks to Zainab Karatash. I'm Anahar O'Connor, and we'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>